0: Do you remember the scene in Genesis when Jacob was wrestling against God? It was an intense overnight match. I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't lose. You're not going to win one of those wrestling matches against God. But that experience for Jacob impacted him, it marked him in a number of ways for the rest of his life. And we can't fully know and understand all the motivations of Jacob's heart in that wrestling match, but I want to think for just a couple of moments about some of the implications of his wrestling against God. Uh, There is a distinct difference between wrestling against God And wrestling with God. I'd ask you to follow my logic for a couple of moments here. From the beginning, God has told people that sin would be crouching at the door seeking to rule over us. And we've seen the implications of that in Scripture. The Biblical accounts, but when we're honest, we, we can admit that we sense sin's relentless attempts to rule over us. It's a daily battle that sin attempts to rule over us. In our passage this morning when we get to verse 9, um, Paul speaks about having put off the old self. And interestingly, he uses a word put off that he already used in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 when he was speaking about how Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. Same word is used. Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities. He uses the same Greek word in chapter 3 and verse 9 when he says, do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off, put off the old self with its practices. He is encouraging us that the authority of sin and the authority of sin's promptings has been broken. It no longer has the right or the power to rule over us. It has been dethroned. Just as Christ disarmed principalities and authorities that would rule over us in the spirit world, Christ has disarmed our flesh so that it has no right to rule over us. Its authority has been dismissed. This is because... Uh, We are no longer fighting a losing battle with our own meager resources, but instead, we are fighting a battle. You know the rest of the song, right? He's already won. We're fighting a battle He's already won. And He, Christ, is applying that victory into our lives on one occasion after the next. His victory applied in our lives. When we fight against our anger or greed or lust, we can either fight against God in this process or fight with God in this process. In other words, you can do it your way That which seems to be wisdom. That which seems to be intuitively spiritually minded. That which seems to be a logical way of dealing with that which is contrary to God. You can do it your way, or you can do it God's way. Where He tells you and He tells me, I've got this. I've got this. Listen to these words from Romans chapter eight and verse thirteen: For if you live according to the flesh, you will. That was pretty. Some participation. Let me help. Let's try it again. If you live according to the flesh, you will. You will die if you try to fight this your way. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will sense the life of Christ at work in you. You do it your way, you will experience the death that you bring to the table. If you allow God to do it through His Spirit, you will experience the life that He gives. It is such a different way. As we concluded chapter 2, we noticed that regulations... And self-discipline will not satiate the desires of the flesh. That's the way chapter 2 ends. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We need something more significant than good advice. So God at the beginning of chapter 3 will encourage us in what He has provided for us in Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not another in a long line of self-help programs. It is not some type of psychological adjustment. Can you listen to this? It is a supernatural provision of God that results in God's work of transforming us. The Gospel is about God's work. That which has already been done, and that which he continues to apply into our lives on a daily basis, that which we'll see its full unveiling at the end, when all of our resources are completely taken out of the way, and all of his resources are completely flooding us without interruption forever. The Gospel is past, present, and future. The Gospel is God's work. We have the benefit right now, in this moment, to rest in what God has already done. To rest in what God is doing in the moment. And to rest assured of what He is going to bring to its full conclusion at the end. The Gospel transforms us. We need the life of God. And we need the life of Christ. His life is a wonderful gift of His grace. Now, throughout the Gospel of John that we've been studying and we will resume shortly our study of the Gospel of John, (coughs) excuse me, John under the inspiration of the Spirit is regularly talking about the reality that God through Jesus is providing life. Life is a major theme in the Gospel of John. Listen to these words in John 1:4. In him speaking of Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. So in Jesus is life. In chapter 5, in verse 26, Jesus made these, this statement For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. In chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. In chapter 8, Jesus gives the light of life. In chapter 7, He gives living water. Life, life, life. life. Through whom? Life through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way it works. And so he says this in John 5.24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. When does he have that eternal life? Now. Now. He who believes, He who hears My Word and believes My Father who sent Me, that person has right now eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but he has passed. This has already taken place. Has passed from death to life. This is what God has accomplished Through Jesus Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ is He's already taken each believer and has removed us from the status of death and placed us into the reality and union of life. Life that we find and have through Christ. He, our Savior, is the real source of real and enduring life. When a person responds to Jesus in faith, we see Him as He really is the only means of true, lasting forgiveness. We see Him as the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes unto the Father except through Him. We realize that we have life only through Him. this person, this believer, receives spiritual life with spiritual life, listen carefully to this, with spiritual life, we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We start to see ourselves as we really are. That we are seekers of our own pleasure and our own glory. And that these pursuits result in emptiness and death. The Gospel unveils our eyes not only about God and our Savior, which is the most important reality, but the Gospel unveils us that we'll see ourselves as we really are. Running contrary. Our flesh in this life until it is fully redeemed will never, our flesh will never love God in this life. Our flesh constantly rebels against God. That which is good within us is the new life we have received from God And He renews the spirit of our minds. And He's he's continuing to work in that area of building our understanding, our strengthened inner man, this that we have received from God. With spiritual life, we start to see God as He really is. He is the provider and redeemer. The one who... Sets us up to experience what life really is. We start to see Him as truly satisfying. The real pleasure of our soul. That true and enduring pleasure is found in Him. Not just what He gives. In who He is. This... Is a work that God does. This leads to our joy and it leads to us impacting others. Today and next week, we'll talk about this transformation that God produces through the gospel. Today, we'll talk about how God's gift of life through Christ changes our affections. And next week, how this transformation that comes from the gospel transforms our power. So when you think about affections, what do you think? Like what comes to mind when you think of the term affections? Because in verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above. In other versions, it's set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. When you think of affections, what comes to your mind? I have a very easy illustration. It's near to my recollection and my heart. I was standing right here yesterday with my son Andrew to my left and my daughter-in-law Maddie to my right and I saw them looking at one another and I saw them looking at me and there's affection all over the place. It's that which stirs our heart. That which captures our imagination. It's a beautiful thing when a husband or a would-be husband looks into the eyes of his wife or his would-be wife. When a person's affections are latched onto something, everything else tends to fade into the background. It's one of the things I tell a bride and a groom when they're in this setting. You, know, you want to take in the experience. You want to see the people that are there. and Then you want to forget about them. Just look at one another. Just look at one another. Look at me when it's appropriate, but look at one another. This is... This is about, like there's an easy way to focus here. Look there. So as I, as I think about that, there's an important statement that was made by Dietrich Bonhoeffer many years ago. He states it in the negative, And I want to state it in the negative as he did. And then I want to turn it on its head and state it in the positive. God disappears to lust-glazed eyes. In other words, when something captures your attention, your affections, when there's a craving there and it's right in front of you and that's all you can think about, I have to do this, I need this, I need it right now, everything else fades into the background including God Himself. We can turn that statement on its head and it actually stands true. Lust disappears to God-glazed eyes. When we see God for who He is, and we experience the joy not only of knowing Him, but the very joy that He is filling us. The very peace that He is filling us. The very long-suffering that He is Filling us. The very love that He is filling us. In that moment, nothing else is very tempting. Satiated. And because we're satiated, we don't need anything. So in our passage this morning, God wants to have our affections turned heavenward. And here's why. Look at verses 1-4. through Colossians 3. In glory. As we work our way through this, we want to first see we have received life from Christ. Now we talked about this, so I'm not going to belabor it a tremendous amount. Verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ. This is a reference to our being united together in the resurrection of Christ. Those who have been made alive. See, We were born. Dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 1. But God in verse 4 of chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 1. We were dead in Ephesians 2.4, but God, who was rich in mercy, He made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. You remember that in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5? Life. We've received life. We've been united together with Christ. It's a reference to being made alive by Christ. His life, His being, or has been imparted. It's a reality for all those who have trusted Christ. We've been made spiritually alive. Our physical life, that which we nurture on a daily basis, we ensure we eat and drink and we sleep and we exercise, we do those things to keep our bodies moving. Our physical life will one day come to an end. It's true for everyone. It's just reality. You've experienced that taste of death with the loss of loved ones. One day that will be your own experience. You will also breathe your last breath one day. Physical life comes to an end for everyone. But those who have trusted Christ, those who know Jesus, who have received this life from Jesus. We've received it already and we taste it in bits and pieces, that life that we've received. One day we're going to experience it to the full. It's only getting better. It's only getting better. Our Savior is in heaven. Seek to receive what He has to offer. It is part of this life that He's imparted. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. He provides this for us. Set your affections there. It's life-enhancing. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. When our affections are turned towards, heavenward, what do we learn about God? What is He like? How does the Bible describe His feelings toward you? He's going to answer that in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones holy, and beloved. And he goes on and talk about putting on compassion and the like. God calls you His chosen ones. He calls you holy. And He calls you loved. When our eyes are turned heavenward, we learn about God's affections for us. What He's like. God Himself is fullness. He is peace. He is joy. He is compassion. He is kind. He cares for us. He's with us. He's for us. These realities and many more help to inform us about the life we are now living. Listen, the best joys of this life are but a snack compared to what is to come. The greatest wedding you've ever been to on earth is a mere shadow of the substance of the wedding that is to come that we will experience in the presence of God as the Bride of Christ. The worst pains of this life will be overshadowed by the wonder of what God has provided for us. We've all endured our share of pain. Some, perhaps, more than others. And pain seems to capture our attention. It abides. And we can feel the impact days and weeks and months and even years after. But one of the glorious realities of this coming kingdom is that all the past kingdoms will be ground to powder and will blow away with the wind. That is what will happen with all of the pains that we've experienced in this life. This is why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8 that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. This is why I can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that these are light momentary afflictions but they're working God is working through them a far more eternal exceeding weight of glory. Life, real life, the best this life has to offer is nothing compared to what is coming. And the worst this life has to offer is nothing. It'll be not even a memory on the other side. This is what God has given to us by giving us life in Christ. Set your affection there. Remind yourselves of this life you received so these difficulties don't dissuade you and these joys don't deceive you. He moves on in verse 3 to tell us that our lives are hidden in Christ. Our lives are hidden in Christ. Look at verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a lot to be said here. I don't have time for all that I would like to say my guess is there are some things in your life over the course of 15 years of life for some, 30 years of life for others, 50, etc. In the course of those days, there are some things that you might be embarrassed about. Things you wouldn't want to write an article about and place in the Providence Journal or a place on the uh, church website in a blog post. Let would be my guess. We all have that. And you know what's really great? All of that has been taken out of the way having been nailed to the cross. Our lives are hidden in Christ. We spend so much time constructing our lives professionally socially economically we work to do all this and like at the end we kind of like want people to say hey look how look how it's working out for that guy look how it's working out for that girl but this is just a shadow There's real substance in having your life hidden in Christ. That is real joy. Because that's real righteousness. That's real truth. That's actual authenticity. You want sincerity? You'll find it in Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God He's going to tell us in verses 5 through 9, and again, we're just going to touch on it, to let go of deadly patterns. To let go of deadly patterns. Look at verses 5 through 9 with me. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you two once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. There are deadly patterns he's talking about. These are deadly patterns. They are deadly practices and they are deadly passions. They result in emptiness. They result in damage. And they result in death. What's amazing is that God designed marriage in such a way for a husband and a wife to be one. So those are emotional terms. uh, Spiritual terms. And even physical terms. God designed sex in such a way that husbands and wives would enjoy that freely and wonderfully with one another. It's a good gift from a good God by His great design. It's all a joyful part of this journey. And yet, mankind has twisted and warped sex into a means of satisfying the basest of human cravings. In this twisted use, What was a gift from God's good hand, people experience either being used or users. Mankind corrupts God's good gifts, turning something beautiful and satisfying into something depraved and harmful. So from satisfaction, to dissatisfaction, from life to death, this is what we do. Maybe you've experienced this dissatisfying being used. Maybe you've seen this happen to people close to you. There's a lot of damage surrounding abusing God's good gifts. That's in one area. How about covetousness in verse 5? Covetousness is someone else's problem, right? Not me. I don't want just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just one more. Just a little bigger. Just a little better. Just a little bit more security just a little bit, it's so common. Craving and seeking and setting our affections on what cannot satisfy. We could go on through the whole list. There are reasons why we're angry. There are reasons why we have wrath. There are reasons why we're malicious. There are reasons why we slander. Why we use our mouths rather than to be a, a, a seasoning of salt producing, or providing grace. There are reasons why we use it in a corrosive, corrupting, hurtful way. There are reasons behind all of this. It's because we are self-worshippers. None of these idols can bear the weight of worship. Only our eternal, infinite, redeeming, loving, providing God can bear the weight of worship. He is endless grace. And he will never run short in his supply of good for you. He will never run short on his supply of good for you. And to believe that will help us to stop trying to grasp and claw, to find it for ourselves, our own way rather than to be in competition against God, wrestle with Him. Take My yoke upon you. Learn from Me. Let, let Him give you what you need. Of course, it's easy to say when we're in the midst of worshiping and looking at Scripture, it's a little harder when you're leaving Boston at 11.10 last night after a long day, and you get into a line of traffic and you're trying to figure out the directions, and you know you need to be in the left lane, but a, an emergency vehicle is coming, so you move like you're supposed to out of the way, and people do their thing about moving you know, and getting in your way. The emergency vehicle comes by And those people don't think about the fact that maybe you still needed to go left like you were in the left lane before. So they start filling in. And because you're a refined person, you just let them go. Or you're me and you cut back over and your wife is saying some things at you and you say some things back that are not very nice. And then you have to apologize later. I won't tell you who this is about. (laughs) This is just life. Oh, I wish that I would never do that. I mean that person. I wish that person would never do that. But this is our life. We, we're, we're in constantly trying to get where we need to go and get what we need and be, you know, receive what we think we have to have instead of just letting it happen. At any rate, God is never going to run short on His supply of good for you. Verse 6 it tells us about the disastrous results of these distortions. It says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Seeking and craving your own way, your own solutions, your own heaven, your own kingdom, when we seek that, the result of that is not good. The end of distortion the end of being your own God, the end of being your own King is absolute death. So first, people experience the end of their own cravings that are destructive. And secondly, if they do not come to their senses and see Jesus for who He is and the provision that He makes for them, the offer of life that He provides, they will experience the judgment of being without God in their own condemnation forever. So we see that there's a lot on the line here, right? We receive life from God or we try to seek life our own way. Seeking life your own way results in death. Receiving the life God provides results in life. Verse 7 In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You you thought you received life from them too. You remember when you thought these things were the way. This is the way. You once walked there too. This is where we all were at one point. We had our affections tied there. We found our significance and our life in these things. Verse 8, But now... You must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't allow these destructive attitudes and affections to rule over you. There are better affections. We spoke of them earlier in verses 1 and 2. All right. Verse 4. Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. There's so much here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now, we can talk about this in in two ways. Union and communion. When we trust Jesus as Savior, the Bible speaks of the spiritual reality that takes place. We died with Him, and we were raised with Him. And we speak about it in uh, Galatians 2.20 comes to our attention uh, somewhat frequently. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. In union with Jesus, His death is our death. And His life is our life. God sees us in light of the perfect righteousness of Christ. When we're united together with Christ, His record of righteousness is our record of righteousness. This is why we're so confident when we read Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the judge, Jesus, is not going to say, that record of righteousness is not sufficient when it's His. He fulfilled every demand perfectly. Union. We can't be condemned. He will not turn us away and He will not turn away from us. We are secured and loved and accepted and pleasing to our Father. How does does that sit on you? How does that go when you think about that? We are secured and loved and accepted and pleasing to our Father. With communion with Jesus, His life is not just on our account, but active in us. When we're in communion, we're walking with Him, and he's, He is our Master in our head and our, our Shepherd. As we're walking with Him, and He's providing and working in us, we lose our lives in Him. His life is evident in us. And so we say, Lord, help me not to act in accordance with my natural resources. Let my passions die. Help me to allow the life of Jesus to be on display in me. You can see it working its way out in verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Next week we'll talk about verses 12-17 through and see how the the, the spirit of uh, compassionate hearts and kindness is evident. Humility, meekness, and patience. Forgiving and loving one another. Peace from God and the Word of God and the name of Christ. All these things will be evident before us. Jesus Christ is our life. That's what He's telling us. When Christ, who is your life... When is He your life? Now. When Christ, who is your life, appears. He is our life now. Life today. Our life hidden. His life shining. Lord, may it be so as we come to the last portion of our discussion and worship in the Word this morning, Christ is our eternal life. Christ is our eternal life. Look again at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Christ appears, when Christ is revealed, then you also will appear. You also will be revealed. Who you really are will be fully seen. Then, here, well, here, Rob comes out, and I, like, I'm, like I smile when I say that. That I really don't mean it. Like I don't. I'm not like happy when Rob comes out. When Rob comes out, people are not blessed. And Christ is not magnified. In this life, there are times when Rob comes out. And there are other times when the life that I have from Christ is evident and people will see Him and Christ is magnified. It's a, it's a on again, off again. And it can be very off-putting to the one who is just desiring, let's see Christ. It can be very unhelpful to those that are observing this here in this life on and off. But when Christ who is our life appears, is revealed, we also will be revealed with Him in glory. Then, all the nasty is gone. All my resources are gone. All my flesh is fully and finally and forever dead. This is such good news. Who produces this? Not me. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 3, "But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, including me, including you, His power fully undisplayed, correcting our resources forever. No revisiting of the old man. In First John chapter three and verse two, it says it this way: "Beloved. We are God's children. What's the next word? Now we are God's children. Now, and what we will be has not yet been, uh, has not yet appeared, or has not yet been revealed. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is, and then people will see us as we really are in Christ. It's all over at that point. So, not only is Jesus Christ our life that we have received right now, Jesus Christ is our eternal life, transforming us fully and forever. We call that glorification. Who you really are will be fully on display forever. We get glimpses of it here and now in this life when we stop believing in ourselves. Oh, well, that doesn't sound popular. Believe in yourself. If you can conceive it, you can... Oh wow, you guys aren't paying attention? <laughs> if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Now, No, the Gospel says stop believing in yourself. Now, if you're in, again, in the natural world, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if, you want, if you want to gain academic excellence, you've got to work hard. Conceive and achieve. You've got to work hard. If you want to want to do really well in a, in, a, in a military career, you have to go through the paces. Learn what you need to learn. Learn your job well. Do it great. But we're talking about spiritual things here. Stop believing in yourself. And stop believing your feelings. And stop believing your passions. And stop believing your pursuits. When we abide... In believing in the real life that we have received in Christ, everything changes, but we battle this every single day. But one day that battle will be over. But remember this Christ has already won. Our life will one day appear. Our day to day is about letting that victory of Jesus Christ be on display. And it happens as we see our God for who He is and see our pursuits for what they really are and allow God to transform our affections for what is really, truly life. And God, by His grace, is transforming us. So what do we say? Look to Him. See Him. Seek Him. Set your affections on Him. This. This is how you satiate the desires of the flesh. It's not by regulation. It'll never work. See Him for who He is. Seek Him for what He is and what He provides. And God will satiate you. Your affections will be fully satiated. He'll, he'll give you what you need. This is what He does. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for all that You are, what You've given to us in Your Word that points to us to Christ, points us to the fullness that You are and the fullness that You provide in Him. Father, we pray that You'd help us not to settle for the snacks and treats of this life that that cannot fully satisfy and that end in distortion. We pray that You'd help us to be satisfied in our Savior, Your Son, and our Savior. Help us to seek Him. Help us to seek You. We pray that we would experience the joy and power that comes alongside of that. That others would see Christ magnified in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.